It's time to swarm the 402. Welcome to the Nebraska Hawksmith. These guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their point. But they're still Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye hype to all of Nebraska. The Frost Advisory is canceled! Corn Huskers? More like Corn Suckers. Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go Hawks! All right, welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest here, Hawkeye Oasis located in a Nebraska desert. Today, we are joined by, in our opinion, the innovator of tight end you, Mr. Marv Cook. How you doing, sir? I'm doing really well, thank you. Uh, I can't take all the credit. I actually uh, had some great mentors when I first got on campus there. Uh, all right. All right, so go ahead and go ahead and elaborate. Who are the mentors, Marv? Love being a part of it. Mike Hufford, you know, my first... Uh, my first day at Iowa, I literally got my locker signed and and came in and walked in and, and walked to the back. I, I can vividly remember where it was. And Mike Hufford had just finished a workout and he was, I mean, jacked, you know, and just read it, tripped and read it and shredded. And, and, uh, and I was like, dude, if this is a tight end, I'm, I'm like, I've got a long ways to go. Uh, so, but he, great guy. And then, then Jonathan Hayes. Sure. You talk about a guy that. Was six six two fifty and about four percent body fat. So I mean, I was I walked in like six four, you know, two oh six or something at the time, and I was like, oh man, this is going to be a long couple first years. But uh, was just was fortunate enough to be a part of that great group. Coach Patterson was an amazing uh, teacher instructor. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm going to get long winded and ramble, but so he was a love army, it. He was an army guy that flew helicopters. And so every day was just a regiment, regiment, regiment about what we were doing. And uh, he was incredible. And it was just, you know, a checklist of what you had to do pre-snap, you know, right before the snap and then after the snap. And, and it was just it, so the game became just instinctive, natural. Uh, you knew what to expect. Um, and he prepared me like no other. So that's why I, I think a lot of what the tight end success had early was because of Don Patterson. And the instruction, he he drove me crazy a lot of times. With it. But the only time he took five minutes off, I'll never forget. We were in Kinnick Stadium on a practice, and you know, and when you're here in Kinnick, and no one's in there, it's eerie, kind of crazy, echoey. And the air care helicopter was waiting to land because it was it must have been the traffic was full or something up there. So he was backing up and kind of doing things. And so Coach Patterson flying a helicopter, he was like, hey, that's really hard to do what he's up there doing. He's trying to explain it to us football guys what the guy was doing. We had no idea. But it was the only five minutes, I swear to God, when I was there for five years that he ever took took a minute away from football and coaching. So uh, wow. a lot of fun. And 
forget, glad to be a part of it. Unfortunately, though, they always use that picture with me missing my front tooth. Anytime they want to show it on ABC TV or whatever. So I yep. always enjoy that. Everybody always sends me a text. My phone blows up. And that was the one when you were on the Patriots, Marv? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Well, you know, coincidentally, just for the folks at home, look what we got. We've got the close-up. Of oh, there it is. <laughs> you love it. I walked into that one, didn't I? So, <laughs> hey, you, yeah. you totally set us up on that one. Thanks for teeing yeah. us up. How did you not get a deal with Colgate or Crest after that? Like, they should have been uh, knocking your door down. And, and Procter & Gamble was right here. I did have a Crest hat, though, when I was in college. It was one of my okay. favorite hats. Uh, but, yeah, they didn't have the NI deals back then. So, you know, you couldn't you couldn't negotiate those deals uh, when you're in college. But um, when I the interesting thing is when I went to New England, you know, this this – the NFL is great now and they market really well and they have access to, to, to all these games. But when I was in New England, we weren't very good for the four or five years, the five years that I was there. So we'd get one game a year on kind of national TV. Uh, so if you lived in Iowa, you were rarely catching a, a Patriots game when I was out in New England playing. So uh, they didn't see me a lot back here at home. So, but uh, loved my experiences when I was out there. Had a great five years in New England and, um, um, don't don't regret any of it jerry so. i'm gonna jerry i'm gonna get sucked into these stories just so you know <laughs> and I, i'm gonna get so into it that i'm probably gonna forget to ask the yeah. next question so you need to keep me on task okay yeah you're asking the guy that actually was you know between the two of us the guy that remembers marv playing so i mean i think i'll be even worse than you will you're be eight, yeah, you're but, but right you know you know marv i'm glad you brought up his name because when you think back to that 85 team you know the chuck longs and the larry stations and the ronnie Harmons are the names that come to but you know jonathan hayes was a you know a really key contributor back then kind of tell us more about Jonathan now when when I saw games at Kinnick he always had the biggest smile looked like he was having the time of his life on the sidelines I mean what what was Jonathan Hayes like kind of tell us more about him and how you know because now he's into a pretty successful coaching career yeah he was he was he was great and um you know he was he was a bigger like bigger than life guy literally for me when I first came on campus like I said and 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 quiet and 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 tough and and uh, you know, vocal leader, um, but led by example, led by hard work. And um, I mean, literally within that first two weeks of being at Iowa City, I mean, he kind of, you know, showed me the way and the path. And, you know, I, I think at one point he came up to my table. I was sitting at a table and said, oh, you're going to be a tight end, huh? And I can't remember what I said. Something like, yeah, I'm going to try or something. And he's like, just give me two weeks with you. And I had no idea what he meant, but I mean, I'm looking up to a guy that was 6'6", 250, you know, had been through the wars of Big Ten football. I was like, oh my gosh, I mean, I might have bit off more than I could chew on this thing, but um, but an amazing guy, uh, had a great experience. In fact, when I was a senior in college, I drove down to Kansas City with a buddy of mine, and he was playing with the Chiefs at the time, and mm -hmm. and uh, he couldn't have been more gracious, let us into his house, and you know, we, we, we spent the night in his house and went to the Chiefs game the next day and then went after after the game, went to a, a local restaurant. John Alt was there, shook John Alt's hand, and he had broken a finger during the game, so he was upset with me when I shook his hand kind of firmly. But but he didn't beat me up, thank God, and the fact that I was a Hawkeye and, and carried a lot of weight. So, but uh, a great camaraderie with those guys and just, um, you know, like I said, the, the, the guys that came before me, were, were incredible leaders. Chuck Long, Hap Peterson, Jonathan, uh, you know, Billy Happel, Scotty Helverson, those guys were just phenomenal uh, guys. Uh, you know, Nate Career, Devin Mitchell, um, 
you know, just Owen Gill. Uh, they set the bar on what was expected from us as young people. And, you know, I will tell you a really cheesy story. Uh, yeah. uh, Coach Fry used to always do a thing where uh, during training camp, you'd have like two weeks, you used to have two days, you know, back in the day before football got changed. Uh, and so, man, it was brutal. I mean, it was six in the morning, the, you know, the horns blown in Slater Hall and you got to walk over and you get breakfast and then you walk to, to the complex and you practice for two hours, ice up, go to lunch, take an hour nap, go back to meetings, go back to practice for two more hours, ice up, go to dinner, come back for meetings at seven o'clock at night. And so like four days went by this and I was just beat because I was a quarterback in high school. I was a finesse guy and so I switched to tight end and I was just getting crushed the first two years actually of my life there but the first four days especially were tough and I'm sitting in the back of the room taking inventory all my bruises and just going man this is man this is rough and so coach Fry used to always let guys get up and talk to the team players and, and it was talk about what winning means to you or talk about what Iowa football means to you. And so it was always great because guys would get up and talk about story about her family and, and, you know, a family member they lost and they were going to dedicate their season and how much it meant to them. Some guys were multi-generational guys, talked about their, you know, their brothers, siblings playing or whatever. And, and Hat Peterson got a big nose tackle out of Bettendorf. And mm-hmm. He gave the story. He goes, you know, just so all you guys know where, you, where everything's at. He goes, here's the ocean. Here's the, here's the fish, you know, the ocean. Here's the lobsters. The trash fish down here is all the garbage down here way down here that's where all the whale crap is and below <laughs> that that's where all you freshmen are <laughs> i thought i had the confirmation i needed to realize that i had just made the, one of the worst decisions in my entire life <laughs> but he immediately turned the story to say here's the deal there's 118 of us or whatever it was in the room we are all iowa hawkeyes now and we all have a role on this team. Some are going to play a lot. Some aren't going to play at all. Some are going to play a little bit. But we can all help this team be successful in whatever role we take on. And so we all needed to accept that challenge and really, really understand that that was the ultimate goal of those teams. And and it was, my gosh, my something switched in me. You know, that I do belong here. I am part of this. There's something that's bigger than me. And, and uh, I learned a valuable lesson in those first two weeks of getting crushed every day that, you know, if you just stay on task, if you just stay on course, you know, eventually things will work out. And, and, and fortunately for me, they were able to do that. Um, Marv, you mentioned legendary coach uh, Hayden Fry, and he was quoted um, over the years as saying you were one of his favorite players and favorite human beings of all time. It really just seemed like you two had a special relationship. Can you pull us into that relationship that you had with coach? Uh. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was, um, he was a guy that changed the course of my life. I mean, I was a guy in West Branch, Iowa. My folks divorced when I was young and my mom was a single mom working as a nurse and, and trying to, you know, help me pursue my dreams and my goals as best she could on a nurse's salary and, yeah. and help me find the platforms that I could do to try to become an Iowa Hawkeye. And so, um, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was coach Brazier, was Coach Fry's best friend. They're Texas guys and about the same age, classmates or whatever. And so part of being Coach Fry's best friend was that Coach Brazier's recruiting radius was 10 miles around Iowa City. And West France was 8.9. So Coach <laughs> Brazier 
was in charge of recruiting me. Um, and, and he, during the process at one point, he just stood up and told the coaching staff that he would give him a, one of his scholarships if he needed, because he wanted me to be a part of the program. And then coach Fry at one point came over to mercy hospital in Iowa city where my mom worked and, and my mom wasn't, my mom was smart. She wasn't going to miss a, miss a beat with him there. And so she was introducing to every, every kid. She was on the pediatrics unit. So she was introducing to all the kids, all the nurses and all the doctors. And when they went and sat in my mom's office and coach Fry basically said, you know, we want your son to be a part of this thing. There was, there was nowhere else. My mother was going to let me go to college. I can tell you that. <laughs> so wow. Marv, Marv having, yeah. So having grown up in Eastern Iowa about that same time, you know, the, uh, the old black and gold bomber jackets were kind of the school uniform unofficially at a lot of places, things like that. Was it always your dream to be a Hawkeye or had you thought about any going anywhere else? You, know, I'm a, you guys will get a kick out of this. Nebraska people will get a kick out of this. So when I was a probably eighth grader, um, ninth grade, well, that's probably, that's probably a sophomore, a freshman, sophomore in high school. And, um, uh, I was digging out a basement with shovel, you know, clay dirt and shovels and putting on a conveyor belt. And we were shoveling it out to expand the basement for my, my grandma. And it was Saturday and Iowa was playing Nebraska in Lincoln, I think. And it was, I think it was in Lincoln and Iowa had a, a freshman linebacker named Larry station. Oh, huge, huge Nebraska guy. Right. And, um, and so I was getting pummeled. I mean, it's probably 46 to nothing at the time, or I can't, I can't remember what it was, but you know, I'm shoveling out this dirt and listening to Zobble or, you know, Gonder, whoever was calling the game. And, and, and Larry Station came in, and they were they were getting excited about Larry Station coming in the game, you know. And then he made a tackle on Turner Gill, or I can't I can't remember it was I can't I don't know the player, but Tommy Frazier, one of the great quarterbacks in Nebraska, and Station hit him for like a two yard loss, and they were going nuts. And it was like forty seven to nothing, right? Yeah, like, I want to be a part of that. Nice. Yeah. And it was at that point that I was like, I want to I want to be a Hawkeye, and, and our fan base is just incredible. I mean. You know, they sell out every year since going back to the 70s. You know, it's just sell out, sell out, sell out, sell out. It's just, it's incredible. And, and the support that 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 fan base always provides that team is uh, is pretty special. So, um, and, and the fact that, you know, I could go on all day, guys. I'm going to tell you right now. I, <laughs> first time, the first time I wore that Tiger Hawk helmet, it's it was unbelievable. It was, it was like magical. It was, it was, you know, it, it was... So my freshman year, uh, first game they played was Hawaii, at Hawaii. So uh-huh. like 60 guys fly to Hawaii. They dress. They get the Tiger Hawk on the helmet. So they come back, and the next week practicing, it's a black helmet. I got a black helmet, and everybody else got the Tiger Hawk. Well, there's like 40 of us that have just a black helmet. Mm-hmm. So the next game, I think, it's on the road at Iowa State or something. So I didn't travel to that one. So now another 20 guys got the Tiger Hawk on it. And then finally – you know, the next home game or whatever, I get a try, I get a dress. So I get up from Slater, go to the Hillcrest, get breakfast, get on the bus. They drive us over. We used to, we used, our locker room used to be in the other corner up on mm-hmm. the right hospital. Yeah. So we walked down the four stairs, came into the locker room, walked by the defensive locker room, and then walked into the offensive side, and there it was. The number 84 jersey. Ooh. And the Tiger Hawk helmet and lights shining down on it from above and in and, and like – gospel music playing because it was the most <laughs> incredible thing I've ever seen. At least that's the way I remember it. It was the most yeah. incredible thing I've ever seen. it was 
And it was there. It was it was Cook, 84, and the Tiger Hawk on my helmet. I got dressed, went down to the field, warmed up for 30 minutes, and stood on the sideline for three hours. Didn't play a lick. Didn't, you know, mm-hmm. but it was the greatest day that I had had up to my that, that time from an athletic standpoint, because that's what I wanted to do from the time, like I said, I was a freshman sophomore. Did, yeah, how did uh, how did mom react to you being in the uniform the first time? It was, she it was great. You know, she went to every game. You know, she was the one that was always in the car with the Marv Cook, 84, you know, and the license plate cover it was personalized, you know. That's great. Uh, and she would tell the greatest stories, like, it, you know, when they'd pull into Wisconsin or Michigan or something. And, and, and that was a great thing about the Big Ten back then. They were always – they'd rib you. Mm-hmm. They were always like, hey, park here. You know, we'll save a spot for you. Come back. We'll have a beer for you or whatever, you know, after the game. So it was uh, – uh, those are just incredible times uh, uh, playing in the Big Ten back in the eighties. I got goosebumps after that story. That is awesome. I mean, it's no lie. I mean, it was. Oh, it was. Uh, I mean, I was emotional when they swarmed out. I mean, I was really almost crying in my helmet because it was something that you know, God bless it. I mean, it's just you know, oh. Coach Fry had that swarm thing going, and just I knew I was a part yeah. of something. And and even though I didn't play it down, you know, my oh. freshman year. It was that moment, and then we, and then at the end of my freshman year, we played in the Freedom Bowl, the inaugural like 1984 Freedom Bowl against Texas. Yeah, and we had getting ready to swarm out, and a guy who literally and I, Mike Hooks was his name, and he was tough, and he was a defensive end linebacker, and he pummeled me all year, and literally, I thought he only knew my name as an adjective, and then my name because he was always cussing at me about something like holding or something or you know whatever. And so it was brutal the first year. But when we were ready to swarm out, he looked at me and he said, hey, Marv, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be okay. And it was at that point that I knew I was on the path that I talked about early, that I wanted yeah. to go on, that I was, gonna, I was moving in the right direction. And so the best two moments of me at Iowa were probably those two moments. Obviously, we'll probably get to the Ohio State thing. But the Ohio <laughs> State thing would have never happened if we didn't have those first two. You know what I'm saying? Did that, that did, part of the process? Did something happen with Ohio State? Uh, <laughs> man, I am so jacked right now. I could run through a wall. That is what it's all about. Like that right there is like if anybody could say the embodiment of what it is to be a Hawkeye. Like it couldn't have been said better. And the one thing that kind of makes me a little bit sad about it is like you know that story about working in your grandmother's basement. Like that's such a good story. You're listening to the game and you hear that and you're like, I want to be a part of that. I don't think. And you tell me if I'm wrong, Marv, because you've been you're you've been closer to it with coaching, uh, with your coaching career. But I, I don't feel like kids think that way anymore. I, I, you know, from what I hear and see, it's more like, okay, they're getting blown out. I don't want to go to that school. I don't want to get blown out like that. They're not going to catch a moment like you did and, you know, really have that emotional intelligence to lock into the, the excitement and the energy behind it. Yeah, I think a lot of times, uh, and, and I, you know, obviously every, everybody's unique. Everybody's different. Even, you know, even back in the day, Coach Fry used to tell people, hey, you know, you know, I'd walk in, be tying my shoes. He'd say, hey, you know what this weekend is? And, and he, you know, he'd say something like, hey, we're playing Michigan this weekend. I was like, all right, I'm ready, I'm ready. And I'm out there. <laughs> and then he, you know, the next person next to me would be sitting there and he'd be like, you know the difference? You know what Saturday is, right? The difference between driving a BMW and a VW. You know, and he was motivating us all in our own unique ways. And that was, that was his greatest strength was he was just an incredible communicator. 
And, you know, every time he talked to us as a team, I swear to God, he was talking right to me. I mean, there was one time in practice, it was hot, it was miserable. You know, and after practice, we went and had a meeting and he was like, oh, you guys were being, you know, working hard today and you were walking back. And I'm like, he caught me that one time, you know, because I thought he was talking right to me. That one time I walked back to the huddle, he caught me. But I just, I felt like every time he was giving us a message, it was directed to me. And I, and I honestly think every one of my teammates felt the exact same way when he was communicating with us. He uh, was a uniquely special guy. Um, and like I said, he, he, he gave me the opportunity to continue to pursue my dreams and goals athletic, athletically as well as academically. And, and you were talking about it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'd love to be a historian and I love the story of Jack Trice and now Kinnick and, yeah. And, and the history of the programs and stuff. So, you know, when I, when I chose to go to a school, the football was a part of it, but I was going to the school, you know, I wanted, I wanted the full atmosphere of campus studying, you know, walking over the river, you know, all that stuff that came with being a, a student athlete and not just the football aspects of it. And I, and I think, unfortunately now kids, you know, they, when they when they do their signing day, they're going to take my talents to some school for the next three years because they're all thinking they're going to go to the NFL, right? Yeah. You know, and they could, they're eligible after three years. And instead of, hey, I'm going to go to, you know, this university so I can get a great degree in this thing. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to spend the next four or five years with, you know, a hundred like-minded people, you know, who hopefully sharing the same dreams and goals and aspirations that I have athletically. And uh, we can pursue them together, you know. So, so Marv, take us into that. I, I, I got a question, like a part A and a part B. But your your freshman year then was the nineteen eighty five season, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yes. As a freshman coming in, number one was how um, you know what that ride in nineteen eighty five. I mean, everybody knows the legacy that team has. But I mean, as an incoming freshman like yourself, I mean, you talk about your first impressions wearing the Tiger Hawk. But I mean, that just that whole experience being your very first year in Iowa City. I mean. Take us kind of behind the face mask on that one. And then secondly, if you can confirm, we were doing some stats research, and one of the pages we came across said you had an extra point that season. Yeah. Was that in, was that incorrect? I, was that I incorrect? am the most prolific kicker in Iowa football history. <laughs> I, never missed. All right. Never missed. All right. So behind the 85 That's season, true. and then tell us about tell us about the extra point. We got to hear about this. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So coming in that, that first year, um, was the first year was the Freedom Bowl, like I said, and then the second year was the Rose Bowl year, which was amazing. But you, you just you, you knew, um, you know, if, if you knew if you knew if you heard Brent Musburger's voice in the in the complex, it was a big game, you know. And, and we had a bunch of those games, man. And and, and the Michigan, you know, twelve ten game uh, when Howland kicked the field goal late against Michigan to the victory, and and you know. You, you think Iowa storms the field now? Trust me, it was, it was, I mean, I, you know, and I'm biased, obviously, you know, I, I've stormed the field in the last couple of years at Iowa too, by the way, but, um, <laughs> but, but it was, you know, when you beat Michigan 12-10 back in the 80s, it was a big deal. And uh, first night game, I think, in Kinnick, I think they said, but just amazing. And then we go to Columbus, Ohio, and we're ranked number one, I think, at the time. And, and then they just, it was a rainy day and it was brutal. And it's the loudest I've ever heard a stadium uh, that day. And, and they, they got after us pretty good. But, you know, you, you just knew it was a special group. I mean, that, that group, that leadership group that they had uh, was phenomenal. And, you know, you just, 
you know, I was just, like I said, as a young person doing special teams, I just want to do my part in any way I could and, and be a part of the process. And, and uh, it was so much fun to be a part of. It was really, really special. All right. So, oh, then, oh, so then, the extra point question. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a, I think I was a retro freshman and, and uh, we, we, we were scored, we scored way too much. So Rob Howland hurt his leg kicking too much. <laughs> so Coach, Fry threw, Coach Fry threw me in, man. I, I hammered it through and I swear to God, it barely made it over the, the bar. I, I hit it so low. I was a straight on kicker. I hit it so low. That thing was spinning hard and it barely made it over the, but it, it was good. Extra point. How much? How much practice had you had before that, Mark? You no, know, he, he had actually worked me a little bit. And, you know, you guys, I, I kicked off. Uh, I, I kicked off when Howland got hurt that that first, second year, uh, second and third year. And then my fourth and fifth year, I actually punted. Uh, so we had some issues with our punters were getting hurt. So I actually punted in my fourth and fifth year um, a little bit. So, you know, I was a kid in West Branch, man. I just was, I was going to do whatever, whatever I could, you know, to play and, and uh, so it was, it was. It was just so much fun to be a part of it. People think that oh, kicking. Oh, I, I oh I'll stop. Go. I love Coach Fry, but if I didn't kick it out of the end zone, he'd come and yell at me. <laughs> and so I'd get so frustrated. Like in the late in the third quarter, I'm you know I just played fifty snaps at tight end, getting crushed by you know getting you know whatever, and I I, I wouldn't get it kicked out of the end zone, and he would come find me you know i'd come i try to jump run off like at a 10 yard line and then walk behind you know and he'd come find me he goes barb you got to kick it out of the end zone you know and i'm like what do you want me to do you know i'm just trying to help out your best i can but um but i, I love him for it you know because you know to his he he expected me to win and he expected me to be great and and uh i always wanted to not ever let him down and um i love him for it so all right, Jerry, you got to set the stage for this epic Ohio State play. I mean, you were watching that one, I'm sure, live as a kid. So hey, I was I was just a twi- twinkle in my mom's eye at that time. Hey, everybody knows you're you, you know, you're at the shoe, you you're down to Ohio State, one play left, and uh, let's just let's that's all the setup it needs. So or did I did I get too quick to the punch there, Adam? Are you nope? Let's talk about the amazing play, like the the call from the radio on that. I mean, those guys were jacked. That was amazing. You know, honestly, the the, the best thing about that whole thing was is it wasn't live on TV. It was a two hour delayed broadcast, so you know, ninety nine percent of all Hawk fans were listening on the radio, and that's you know that's that's how they heard it. That's how that's how they knew what happened, and. Um, you know, it, it was an incredible game back and forth. Kevin Harmon was phenomenal for us. Chuck Hartley was phenomenal. 
late, you know, had stitches. He got hit on a fourth down conversion um, that we converted in that last drive and, and busted him up under the chin and stayed in the game. And, you know, and just, and what I'll tell you is, you know, we practiced it. I mean, it was stuff we practiced over and over going, we prepared, uh, you know, crowd noise, you know, third down execution, fourth down execution, two minute offense. Uh, it was just, it was, it became just routine. It became habit. The one thing I will tell you, it literally, you could not hear uh, in the huddle. I mean, Chuck Hartley was yelling, you know, Lions 75, you know, Y, you know, W go Y trail, you know, in the, in the count. And you literally had to lean in and, and literally almost try to read lips and understand what was going on. And then he broke the huddle. And, you know, we go out and we execute it. And, and you know, the way I tell the story is that, Chuck unfortunately underthrew me because of my speed and I had to reach back <laughs> and catch it. But it was actually, we, we, you know, we practiced it over and over and over again. We used to run a lot of seam routes and Chuck, if, if the guy was even with me or in front of me, Chuck was going to back shoulder it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he did right here is he just threw it back shoulder and the guy was, it was two man. The guy was running with me and the guy just ran by, was able to adjust on the ball and, and then just try to split the defenders and, 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 and to have, I'm going to tell you guys, and you guys have been all over seen stadiums all over the place, but, but to have 77,000 people go from a deafening roar mm-hmm. to an eerie silence, but having 1,500 Iowa fans clear up in the <laughs> corner of the, of the stadium going crazy yeah. mm-hmm. uh, was truly one of the amazing um, moments, you know, obviously in my career and to get Coach Fry and the staff their first victory in Columbus, Ohio was a great treat for me and, and our, our teammates my teammates so um you know just just blessed to be able to be a part of it jerry you know? one of the one of the guys beat on that play i believe uh, the research team told us bo Pelini was in on that. Yeah, he's one of the guys tackling trying to tackle me there at the end yeah but, that's what i thought at the goal line yeah yeah so you know a little bit extra than when he becomes a coach at nebraska you know just a little bit something to make you feel a little better about it and yeah. you know when i when i hear that mark you talk about uh who and listen to it on the radio but you know i remember uh like in the week after that, they were talking. And when Zobel's voice cracks, they said decibel-wise, it went like a tone or two o- higher than a opera singer's. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was one of the great things was Zobel always brought that character. I mean, what were your interactions with Jim Zobel like? We've never really asked anybody too much about yeah. their, their past with him. Just great. I mean, just, you know, you, you knew he he loved, he, he had the best job in the world for Jim Zobel. You know, it was just he's something, it was his passion, his love, and, and he always shared that with us whenever he talked to us, when every interview, just and you could, you could hear it in his voice when he called an Iowa Hawkeye, foot, you know, whatever game he was calling was, was always a great uh, experience. And so, you know, similar to similar to Dolph, you know, I mean, it's just uh, Gary mm-hmm. Dolph is very similar in that regards. It's just, and you know, those memories. I mean, I you know, people. I've had so many great stories of you know, some guy was working in his garage and he hit his head on his. <laughs> his car, you know, and fell yeah. over or some track. Some guy was driving his tractor and swerved all over his field, you know, and disc up everything he wasn't supposed to do. But I mean, it was, um, you know, I, I was fortunate. I was fortunate enough to, to like I said, have great teammates um, that were able to actually because that, you know, that play doesn't happen without David Hudson doing what he's supposed to do, Devin Harvard's, Travis Watkins, you know, all the guys that were, were fighting the fight. Um, you know, we're all a big part of that, uh, that victory. Yeah. And, um, you know, just, right. yeah. So it was Saturday night and, 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 and I was city that night was a lot of fun. So, all right. So, okay. So we're going to put you on the spot here. 
Marv Cook's opinion, you know, nothing scientific, just your own personal opinion. Greatest catch in Iowa history, Marv Cook beating Ohio State or the Capital One catch to Warren Holloway? Yeah, you know, that's um, God, that's a great question. Uh, obviously, obviously, the uh, Tate throw to Holloway was amazing. You know, the, the, the setup, uh, January 1, you know, bowl game obviously had a lot to do with it. Uh, so, you know, it, it's I learned a long time ago, especially when you get older, that, you know, all those, you know, I keep dropping down the, you know, the mm-hmm. career catch list every year, seems like. So, and that's, and that's the way it's supposed to be, you know, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we, you always want, um, you know, Iowa does a great thing where they, you know, leave the jersey in a better place. Uh, and, you know, you always want the guys that follow after you to, to hopefully, you know, be able to catapult on the things that you were able to pro- provide or help with the, the years prior, but ultimately to take it on to a better level. Marv, before we dig into your NFL career and your high school coaching career, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your family. Um, yeah. You have three great kids. have all been very successful. Um, Drew, Logan, and Ashton, um, and then your wife, Tracy. Tell us about your family, where you guys are living now, and, and what you guys are all up to. I live here in Iowa City. I live like a mile and a half from Kinnick Stadium. So I'm right on Melrose uh, for the most part. So wow. uh, I've been here for 20, 25 years. Uh, when, when I finished up in the NFL, we started, my wife and I started to buy a house, build a house. And then um, after we got in, our, our son, our first son, Drew, was born uh, six months later. So it's we've been here ever since. And Iowa City is obviously an amazing campus. Um, you know, the great thing about Iowa City, I still feel like that 23-year-old kid because it's all kind of still Iowa City. It's the university and, yeah. you know, so there's a lot more buildings down by the hospital. There's no more green grass down there, but um, but you still, it's still got that college feel and you just, you know, my body feels like I'm 56, but my mind, I still think I'm like 23. So, but anyway, so my wife's, my wife's from Albia, Iowa, great, you know, south, southwestern Iowa girl, Um uh, married her in 1995, and then we've had three children. Drew was uh, uh, played football here at Iowa as a quarterback tight end. Uh, my daughter Logan is on the basketball team here right now with the girls program, and then my youngest son Ashton is a freshman up at Iowa State on the football team up there. So, um, and just been you know been blessed to have a career that I, I'm in that I'm able to you know coach youth sports. Uh, support them as much as possible, uh, you know, get as many shots up as I can and, and all that stuff with the kids that you want to do. I, sure. I never, you know, I just never wanted to regret, um, you know, especially these formative years when they were really, really young. So I, I probably sacrificed, you know, my business career to some extent to uh, to make sure that, you know, I was always trying to be a, a really, really good dad to them. So yeah. that's ultimately what I'm, I think I'm on this earth to do to be a really good dad to them well that's great i mean let's talk let's be honest at the end of the day nobody ever wishes they would have worked more everyone always yeah. says i wish i would have spent more time with my family so that's yeah. great perspective uh so yeah so I, um but yeah I live here in iowa city um don't know how my youngest got away but uh he has been blessed coach campbell is doing an amazing job uh that whole staff has been a blessing to uh, to his first experience up there. He went up there to the summer school and then the, the first fall um, had a really good experience with the, with the teammates and, and with the staff. So he's in a great spot, feels really good about it. And um, it's, uh, you know, like I said, as long as, you know, the, the interesting thing, you kind of have a new perspective, but, 
you know, when Iowa plays Iowa State, the state of Iowa wins, you know, is the way I look at it because there's there's great, great young men on both sides of the ball when that game's going on. Yeah. So go ahead, Marvin, take us then into, you know, you, you, you get drafted by the Pats third round, I believe, you know, and, and you go into the Patriots and, uh, you know, take us, what was, you talked about Iowa city and what that was like, take us into your first year in the NFL. You would have ended up, I believe in the shot. I was, <laughs> I was, I was a West branch guy. I, I, the reason I knew it was 8.9 miles because my track team ran to Iowa city for a practice one time. It was 8.9 miles. Um, so, you know, West Branch, Iowa City, and then I'm in, in literally I fly into Logan Airport, and a guy picks me up in a, like a hatchback car, and he's got a big ass hockey bag with a puck and in the the stick and the blades, and I'm like I've never seen a hockey mm-hmm. stick before in their life, you know. But Boston obviously loves their hockey, and and so that whole thing, that whole buildup is interesting because I, I can't remember how many teams were in the NFL at the time, 24 or 25 or whatever it is. I had talked to 23 of them on the phone during the process of working out and combine. And of the two that I didn't, New England was one of them. And uh, to get drafted by them in the third round, I was shocked. I was actually hoping to go to the 49ers. Um, They had sent me a test to take three days before the draft. And I took it overnight in the back. Called me a day before the draft, said they liked me. I really thought I'd be a good fit. Because, you know, if you remember, that's when – you know, Montana and Rice mm-hmm. were throwing the ball all over the place. It was like, man, this could be great. You know, go to mm-hmm. 49ers. And so they had the last pick of the second round. And I'm like, this could be it. I'm sitting with my brothers and I'm like, this could be the one, you know. And they picked a guy out of Ole Miss, tight end out of Ole Miss. Great player, great guy, Wesley Walls. He was a two way mm-hmm. player in college. Ended up having a decent career in the NFL for the 49ers and then the Carolina Panthers. Um, and I just was sick. I just walked out of my house. I had a little draft party for my family and friends. I walked out in my backyard and was just like, how does, what happened? You know? And, and then literally my brother comes out like 15 minutes later says, Hey dude, you just got drafted by the Patriots. And I'm like, what? And I hadn't talked to him at all. And uh-huh. So they called me and said, Hey, you know, we got to get you out of here as quick as possible. And, you know, cause I was a stand up tight end and, you know, they were running the ball like 50 times a game. That was when they were, uh, had Craig James and, and we're running the ball a ton. And uh, I was like, dude, why, you know, I mean, you know, but it, but it ultimately ended up working out great. I loved my experience in new England. Um, unfortunately, Andre Tippett was there, which was great. Uh, yeah. another Hawkeye, but unfortunately my first five years in new England, it wasn't, everybody thinks New England Patriots, Super Bowl champs. Uh, we weren't Super Bowl champs when I was there. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, had four, I had four coaches in five years and I had four different owners in five years, so it was a. Oh. It, it just it just makes you it just makes you stand out more because you were a two time All Pro with bad teams. So I mean, you know, Marv, that just that just means that was just that shows a testament to how great a player you were. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's good and, it's good and bad because if you got to throw it every down, it's good because you're going to catch a lot of balls. But if you're throwing every down, the safeties, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, that is the one thing that's changed about the game. That if we ever want to get into the evaluation of what the game was like 25 years ago versus now. If you went in motion and Ronnie Lott was on the other side of the field, I can promise you I was watching to see where he ended up. Because uh-huh. uh, if the ball was in the air, I wanted to know exactly where he was. He was a he was a hitter. Yeah, but he oh. was a hitter. Um, so just real quick uh, before we uh, move beyond that, who was your quarterback room, Marv, when you were there? So I had uh, initially uh, Steve Grogan. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Eason was there during camp. Um, and then Mark Wilson came in from the Raiders. Uh, we had Scott Zolak from uh, Maryland Terrapins. Uh, Hugh Millen came in. Uh, Jeff Carlson. I mean, we had – it was a plethora. Tommy Hodson. Um, and then the one- also came in uh, my last year there. He was drafted. That's what I was thinking was Drew's on the end, but was that was that uh, was Flutie on the Patriots? Yeah, Doug Flutie was there. Yep, Doug Flutie okay. for a year, year and a half. Yep, that forgot about him. <laughs> it's, it's so it's, I mean, literally, I played. I I caught passes from probably fifteen different quarterbacks in five really? seasons. Jerry was hilarious because I was talking talking to my son and telling him about Marv and his career, and he goes, "He played for the Patriots. How, how many how many how many Super Bowls did he win?" And I said, "Well, that was a different time at that era. The Patriots weren't what they are today." And so he looks it up and he goes, "That's not the Patriots and the the red uniforms and the yeah, white yeah, helmet." Yeah. And he was like. That they used to wear those uniforms, and I was like, "Yeah, they're kind of cool, aren't they?" And he's like, "Yeah, I actually like them better than what yeah, they wear now. Yeah. They're a classic really look." Cool. Yeah, yeah. And then, so, uh, uh, and they were just a couple years off that '85 appearance against the Bears. Um, and then uh, you ended up on the Bears for a season after the Patriots. Didn't correct. You yeah. And so, probably my biggest mistake uh, in in the NFL was Bill Parcells came in, and I, and I loved. Him. He was, I mean, he was a phenomenal coach. knew he knew his pedigree and everything. And, and I literally was coming off a of Pro Bowl, uh, and I checked into to camp, uh, mini camp, and he told me that I wasn't going to start. And it, it just caught me off guard a little bit, but I knew he was right because the guy behind me was a guy named Ben Coates. Mm-hmm. Who literally, when, he, when they drafted him when I, my third year, I called my agent like the next week and said, hey, you guys got to find me another job because this guy is <laughs> incredible. Yeah. And I was able to hold him off for like a year, year and a half while he was learning the ropes and and so, but I, but I admired that about Parcells because he told me right up front, straight with me, and he told me what he expected of me, you know. And I tried to do that the best I could, um, you know. Ego gets hurt a little bit, you know, but, but ultimately, I, I, I love being a part of it. But then, you know, I had this chance to go to Chicago and, and maybe get more playing time and come closer to home, and so I just, I took it. And I probably, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have stayed with the Patriots, especially when Mr. Kraft took over. Mm-hmm. The ownership and you know that just everything the trajectory just took off yeah uh, when he when he solidified the ownership there and and, and everybody knew that the new england patriots were going to stay in foxborough so so i go i gotta ask marv i know it was only one season it was your only playoff season i believe but i've been a lifelong bears fan you can see the yeah. helmet behind me so i got i was, I was waiting I for it i was waiting for it <laughs> you know one of my kids is actually named uh, peyton for walter um, um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I just give me one, you know, what's your favorite memory on the bears from that season? Oh, um, uh, it's, it's a great question. Um, for me, it was just the history of being in soldier field. I mean, you, if you ever, you know, the, the, you walk the stadiums here, the, the end zone, on the uh, north side, mm. it's kind of blocked off, and then behind it is like the, it's like an old coliseum, like an old stadium type thing. And we park back in there, and, and and just the history of Soldier Field. I mean, it just was phenomenal for me. And like you talked about, just to to think of the games that have been played there. You know, we played in Green Bay, and, and to be in Lambeau, and actually kind of walking around on it. Man, this is, I think this is where the ice bowl was right here, right mm-hmm. here is where that happened. You know, and and the history of that division was pretty incredible to me. And, and so I was excited about that aspect, that aspect of it. But it was, 
it was great. We, you know, we, um, Merrill Hodge came in, Andy Heck came in, Eric Kramer came in with me, with, with me as free agents. And um, unfortunately, my first, I went to minicamp, dove for a ball, and I caught it, but then I, my face mask dug in the ground, and I actually herniated a disc in my neck. Mm. So I come home, mm. and I'm playing catch like three days later, and I'm throwing the ball, and the ball's like going straight sideways. And I'm like, what the heck? And so my, the, the, the nerve was getting pushed. And so I had to miss like the next 10 weeks and I kind of had a slow start when I was in Chicago, but, um, but it was actually a great year. We actually made the playoffs, won our first playoff game, a wild card game against the Vikings. And then we got beat by the 49ers the year that they won it with Steve Young. So, um, you know, if you're going to yeah. get knocked out, get knocked out by the team that wins it, you know, I guess is the way we kind of looked at it, or at least, at least the way I looked at it, but yeah. And then I said, I went to the Rams and I, when I signed with them, they were the LA Rams. Mm-hmm. But then they came to St. Louis like two months later. So, uh, so my, my last year in the league was in St. Louis and and uh, had a great experience there. So so kind of an interesting, you know, bookends because your time at the Patriots, as we said, was just after, you know, a few years within uh, after their Super Bowl appearance in 85. And then you ended up on the Rams and finishing out, you know, within about a few years of before the greatest show on turf comes yeah. along. Yeah. You know, had, did you see any of the when you started with the Rams? They probably were starting to get maybe a few people here and there. Did you see the seeds of anything brewing in St. Louis while you were yeah. there? Yeah, Mike Martz, uh, Coach Martz was our offensive guy. Um, was a, was a quarterback coach. Kind of, I think he might have been the offensive coordinator at the time too. And he was just he was brilliant. I mean, he was he was a lot like Bill Snyder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just from an X and O standpoint and a, and a matchup standpoint, always trying to figure out the best way to get guys positioned and and matching them up. So I kind of knew that there was something going there. Um, and then there was some guys, young guys, Isaac Bruce uh, was there. Uh, Kevin Green was the draft pick from there. And he was mm-hmm. up and cover. Um, uh, DeMarcus um, Farr, I think was, um, was a great D tackle. Um, I mean, so they, they had the pieces starting to develop there that were going to make it a special place and a special team. And, and, um, yeah, so unfortunately, I just I had I missed my window. I mean, my the New England window and then the the Rams window is just I'm just a little too early or a little too late. But uh, <laughs> I honestly I love every every minute, every second that I did it. I did it seven years, uh, and then in my last game, I literally walked out. You know, my wife and I were walking across the field on the way to her car, and I was like, I think I've had enough of this, and it's time to go do something else. So. You know, that 1995, that was a decision we made. Hmm. And, and also, I, I say I made that decision. I was getting to the point where I just couldn't do it anymore. I had turf toe, which sounds really crazy, but it just, it just took the fight right out of me because it just hurts to walk. It hurts to push off. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I was kind of winding, winding down at the time anyway. But I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just too much. It's, 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 it's pretty hard on you. It's, uh, it's, a, it's Obviously, I loved it but it physically can take a toll. Well, Marv, we really wanted, I got like a million other questions I want to ask you just from every, every story you tell, I think of like 10 things I want to talk to you about, but I, like I said, I got to stay on task. I struggle with that. Being being able to listen. (laughs) Oh, this is great. Like this off the, radar you know so I guess, no yeah. this is what we love uh, like this is like jerry and i eat this up like this is this is the greatest um we want to talk about your your coaching career okay so i don't know if every hawkeye fan outside of the iowa city area really knows 
about your coaching career. You ended up being the head coach at Regina, which is the biggest rival to where you went yeah, to school, yeah. which is very interesting. And I, you know, I read on there too about, you know, you, you got your Jersey retired at your rival. It, it just is so interesting. I was going to joke. I thought I'm like, geez, the closest thing that Jerry and I would get anything retired. We like our t-shirts at like golden corral or something like that. But <laughs> walk us, walk us through that, that, your coaching career. Cause it was a, you were extremely, an extremely successful high school coach and uh, just coaching at the rival to the biggest rival to where you played, where you grew up. What, what was that experience like? Yeah. You know, it was my, so I grew up Lutheran. My wife's Catholic. So, um, and my wife wanted our kids to go to the Catholic school at Regina. So, um, and Lutheran's basically Catholic light. So it's, there's a little religious mm -hmm. lesson here tonight, but, but anyway, so okay. when my kids were at Regina, um, the job came open when they were younger and I just, I wasn't ready and just in a place where I just wanted to jump in yet. Uh, but then it came open again. Again, and I was like, you know, I, this is what I want to do. This is a, this is a, you know, coaching is a calling. It's it, it's, you know, I've, I've I've always wanted to be able to use the platforms that coaching provided to ultimately help kids, you know, become better versions of themselves and everything else that they're doing besides football. Um, yeah. Because inevitably, when I was when I was in, you know, a ninth, seventh or eighth grader. And I told the high school football coach, he asked me, what do you want to do, Marv? And I told him I want to play in the National Football League. And he was one of the first guys that didn't laugh. And he was like, hey, but here's the deal. If you're serious about that, there's a lot of things you need to do differently and change some things that you're doing right now to, to get on that path. And so he was one of the first guys that, you know, showed me here's how you can do it. If you want to really, if you're willing, really willing to put the time and the commitment in, then here's what you need to do. And so I wanted to be able to do that. And so... You know, I jumped in, and, and the best thing that prepared me for it was coaching third-grade girls softball. Really? You, you can do that when we get <laughs> when they're playing with baseball, you know, softball bats, and and if you can get through that without anybody getting hurt and stuff, you can coach high school football. That's that's my opinion. But but anyway, so I just I just love the the platforms that it provides us. You know, I, I played for the best. I played for you know my high school coaches, Tom Nosbush, Butch Peterson, uh, my college coaches. You know, across the board. You know, I mean, you guys know the story, you, you especially, Jerry, when this, when I was there, dude, man, it was just Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. It was <laughs> nuts. McCarney, Alvarez, you know, Patterson, yeah, Snyder, yeah. Stoops, Stoops, Stoops. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, Coach Jackson was a phenomenal coach. Coached in the yep. you know, San Francisco 49ers. Coach Barry Davis and or Barry uh, Sanders in the Pro Bowl. I mean, it's, it was just, they were amazing. Mm -hmm. And so what better way to, you know, if I can just take all what I've learned from them, you know, and, and just and yeah. build ourselves and Dave wants that, and, um, you know, Raymond Berry was my first coach in the NFL and just, Oh my gosh, if I can just try to, you know, encapsulate all that and put it in a, a platform and a process for these kids. And that's what we tried to do. And then I'm, you know, I'm a smart guy that, you know, I live here in Iowa city, I got a bunch of former Hawks. I went and got them. You know, and I said, hey, come coach with us. And they did. Ed Hankel, Jason Dumont, Alex Canellis, you know, uh, Mike Hate over the years. You know, so it's just we have Mark Mitchell has been there. And so it's just Jim Poynton. I mean, it, you know, I'm stupid if I don't. Right. Because they, they, they yeah. have the same mentality as me. They went through the same system as me. And so um, and we coached hard and our kids worked hard. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, what I'll say is. We, you know, we're obviously a parochial school in a big city. 
Um, you know, but we did, you know, we didn't recruit kids. I mean, some kids came there to, to do athletics or whatever, but, but, you know, when we lined up, we'd play Cedar Rapids Xavier, we'd play Pleasant Valley, the 4A school, we play Solon all the time, you know, and, and our kids always wanted to be challenged. They always wanted to see how good they could become. And, uh, you know, when I retired, I truly meant it. That it's just, you know, the, the one lesson that I, you know, wanted to share with them is I, I, you know, after learning and seeing what they could achieve when they really set their mind to something that I, I can believe that they can become anything that they want to be. Right. Yeah. And I believe in them from that standpoint and, and the power of seeing it work when you, when you put that time in that process and that, you know what, if I, if I surround myself with like-minded people, like I talked about earlier and we share the shared common goals and interests and we want to move forward on this thing, we can accomplish great things. And, and fortunately our kids are able to do a lot of that. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and let's not gloss over. I mean, our 56 game winning streak from 2010 to 2013, you know, and then seven straight titles, straight state titles. And, you know, you don't, want to, know that, lost, you don't want to know how we lost that 57 game, by the way. So I won't bring you up. Maybe we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> okay. That okay. But I, that's I, the I, one I, you remember. <laughs> that's the one. You always, you always remember the ones you lose. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I'm 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 a West Des Moines Dowling graduate, so of course Dowling has their amazing string of six straight. But we always had to hear about, well, you know, Regina had the seven straight. Yeah. So you know, thanks for that. We just yeah. it took it was just a little bit of a chink in our armor here as we were trying to take pride in what we did. But you know, it was just such a great coaching career you had at Regina, and I mean, it's you know, it's uh, to go from being a playing legend to a coaching legend. Um, so I mean, it's it, it's phenomenal, but. So as a coach, we want to play a little game with you here. Um, okay. And this, this strictly goes from your coaching career. It's called the hat. Did you ever. Okay. And we're going to see how much of an influence Hayden Fry had on you. So okay. are you ready for this, Adam? No, I'm not. Where is, I don't know where I don't know where you're at on this one. Right. Are you going off script here? No, 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 no. You just need to do your homework a little bit better before these, but all right. So as well, a coach, I apologize. As a coach, did you ever, first one, wear aviator sunglasses and white pants on the sidelines? Never, never. That's trademark. <laughs> That's trademark, in my opinion. All right. Did That's you at least hallowed, have a mustache? That is hallowed ground. I would never did, that. Did you even attempt the mustache at all? No, no. Can't no grow all right. Yep. All right. Did you ever use any colorful analogies like scratch where it itches or a high porch picnic or anything like that? 100%. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Were they Coach Fry's analogies, or did you have any of your own? A lot of them. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, we uh, – you know, I, I had six, seven guys on the staff that, you know, knew Coach Fry well and, and you know, had, had sat through those meetings and, and those after-practice stories. We used to have a thing called cheer, you know, after after every practice. You'd get everybody up. and You know, you have tough practices, hard practices too. It was hot, whatever, cold, you know, two and a half hours getting ready for Michigan, and you have a thing called a cheer, and it was basically just someone could get up and tell a joke. You know, or somebody yeah. could talk a story or tell something motivational, but it was just, it was always some way to bring us all together. And, and so I'll, we used a lot of that too, with what we did, but all the time, pregame speeches all the time was, was taken stealing. If you're not stealing from coaches that you love and admire, then you're not coaching in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Did you ever, <laughs> did you ever have the guards and tackles snap the ball in pregame to mess with the other coach or trash oh, talk the that. other coaches? <laughs> no. In high school, that happens all the time, anyway. So, yeah, you just try, you just, hopefully, it doesn't happen during the game. So, I've never right. did that. That's actually a great ploy. But. Yeah. 
All right. So the last one we'll throw at you here, and it'd be it, it goes back to your time with Iowa and Hayden Fry. Did you ever run a standing two tight end set on offense so that the tight ends could survey the uh, defense while they were while they before the ball got snapped? Every single time, uh, it was the best. It was, uh, in fact, I mean, I mean, think about this. You watch Chiefs, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 what we did. I mean, the, the Chiefs now with Kelsey, they're moving him around, which is we did a little bit of that. But that's all they're trying to do is they're just trying to get him so he's not going to get jammed up on the line of scrimmage. You know, you put your you put your hand in the dirt in front of a defensive end or a linebacker, they're going to jam you and, and, and harass you to get off line of scrimmage. But if you're standing up, you know, you can you can arc release, you can kind of get out of there a little bit quicker, uh, especially if you're moving. And to me, it just shows you the innovation that Coach Fry and Coach Snyder and, and Coach Patterson, all those guys brought to to the offense when they were doing that, you know, 30, 30 plus years ago. Now, I, t- I yeah. will tell you, though, there's some pitchers like on a fourth down and one on the one yard mm-hmm. line and you're in a stand up position and you're looking down at a guy in a four point stance. and You're going, how am I going to block that guy? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you just kind of fall on him, you know, and hopefully he doesn't get too much penetration. But, um, yeah. but honestly, it gets back to what we talked about earlier with Coach Patterson. I mean, I would get the line of scrimmage and, and I was literally looking for safeties. I was checking out where the weak side linebacker was because, if you know, if he was rotated or bumped over, that means that the Sam on my side can be coming, blitzing, or slicing inside. And all those cues kind of helped me. If, if the safety's coming down, now I know this guy doesn't have contained, so he's going inside leverage. And if I know what he's probably going to do, I got a huge advantage offensively, right? Mm-hmm. And so all that stuff that we were doing just helped us be prepared. And, and I, you know, when I played that that – my 88 year, my senior year, um, we probably ran check with me. You know, we just, it was check with me, get to the line of scrimmage and we'd call the play on the line of scrimmage. Chuck would, you know, see what they were doing. And then we'd always try to see what coverage they were in in front. And then, you know, Coach Schneider had a checklist of, hey, if they're in this look, you know, if you get a, if you get a four man front, you get a cover three look, we're going to go seams, we're going to go square out, you know, and, and, and you're almost giggling. Cause you're, you're almost like you're standing there waiting and you go like, I know what he's going to say. I know what Chuck's going to say. <laughs> he calls it. And then you just start you know, licking your fingers going, I know the ball's coming to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I just run the right route, I'm going to get open, you know? And, and so it was, just, it was so much fun, uh, you know, to be innovative and to be, you know, cutting edge offense. I, I felt like we were anyway. And, and um, a lot of times that can make up for a lack of talent. And, um, but it just, you know, all five of my years, the experiences that, you know, I was able to share with my teammates was just was phenomenal. And um, I was, I went down to Texas when, when coach Fry was starting to fail a little bit. And I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to be with him and, you know, probably two, three months before he passed and still sharp, man, still talking about my third grade teacher and she, he knew her <laughs> name, you know, and, wow. and, and just, it was, he's amazing. I mean, he was truly a once in a lifetime guy. Um, and when he's done for Iowa football, mm. I mean, God, I mean, think of you know, look at look at you guys' offices. I mean, it's beautiful, and it's just <laughs> you know, and I mean, the, you know, the one thing I will say when I was at Iowa five years, every time we took the field, I thought we we're going to win. I, it didn't matter who we were playing. I, I felt like we knew we were prepared. We knew we'd worked hard. We knew we'd done everything we possibly could. And, and we were instilled with the confidence that, you know what, we, we, we should win this game. If we go out and play the way we're capable of playing, we should win this game. And it was just, 
you know, that's all you ever want, right? It's just the opportunity yeah. to eat and, and to have a chance. And, um, you know, that was the greatest thing about my five years experience, I think. Yeah. So, Marv, real quick, you touched on it. You were uh, talked about the – did you know you were going to get the ball at Ohio State on that play? Uh, I had an idea, especially when I left. I mean, so it, it sounds weird, but when I took off, you weren't quite – you, you kind of – you saw a two-shell or whatever, but you weren't sure if it was two-zone or, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of thought it would be two-zone. 20 zone, you know, two high safeties. And and then now everybody's running the quarters where the, the corners press, but then they bail. And then now you got quarter, quarter, quarter. So there's really no stuff in there. So I kind of thought we'd be in two, two zone. But then when I took off, the guy came with me and then I knew it was two man. And so literally, like I said, I'm running and I, I kind of know if he's throwing it to me, which he probably, there's a good chance he could. And of course he throws it back shoulder and I stop and the guy runs by and, you know, and then, I bounced across, you know, the old turf back in the day was like hard as a rock, you know, and so, mm-hmm. you know, oh. uh, but um, it was, um, it was. So you had, you had a confidence level. It was coming then. Yeah, correct. It was, you know, I, I think I ended up catching eight or 10 balls that game and, and mm-hmm. some, you know, a couple fourth down conversions at Chuck, you just, you, you know, Chuck had a high level of confidence in me and I, I in him, obviously. And, and, um, and so, yeah, you just go out and make the play. Take uh, that Bo Pelini. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Marv- honestly, it's, you know, I mean, I don't take this the wrong way, but it's, you could tell when Matt Stafford was someone at Cooper cup. Yeah. You know, he just believed in him. He, he, he knew where he was getting, you know, that, I, I, that was what I always tried to be as a receiver. I just wanted to be, and I guess that was the benefit of being a quarterback in high school is I always felt like I knew where the quarterback wanted me, you know, in relation to the defense. And I was always able to try to get to that spot. And when the quarterback kind of has that confidence in you, you're going to get there. He can throw the ball to spots before you're there because he knows you're going there and you're going to get there. And and so, um, you know, that being the case, I will tell you guys a story. I swear to God, there was a four-year stretch there in the NFL when no one could guard me. And I truly mm-hmm. I felt like they're just when it, when you have it when you when you're running routes and you're leveraging, it's like you know Gronk. He's just so big and physical that one he'll outposition you, but then two he can outrun you. I, I never had that part of it, but I could I could always position you and get in a position where I felt like I could you know screen you off from the ball. And if the quarterback threw the ball in the right you know in the right spot, I could mm-hmm. make the play. So. Well, Marv, it is getting past Jerry's bedtime, and we need to let you get back to your family. This was an absolute blast. One of the most fun interviews we've ever done. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to to talk with us, to reminisce, to go over all these amazing memories. And again, thank you for all the great things you did as a Hawkeye. We truly appreciate it. You guys are too nice to give me the platform. So, uh, Oh, no. Uh, It's it's our pleasure. I, I speak at a lot of different places. I used to a lot. Um, and now when I tell my stories and about, you know, Reggie White and Derek Thomas and Lawrence Taylor, all the kids just look at me like, what? what are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? You know, so that, that stuff, the glory days are gone for me. So I, I rarely, I rarely do this. Uh, I literally got inspired when I watched Drew Tate because I just truly, truly enjoyed that hour that you guys spent with him. And I learned a lot. I, I thought I knew him a little bit, but I got to know him a lot better. And I really admired a lot of what he talked about and how he presented himself. So we uh, appreciate that. I really want to be a part of this. So I'm grateful you guys reached out to me. Well, and we'd appreciate it. tell your friends because we can use all the help we can, you know, put 
putting off these Huskers over here, making sure they understand who the uh, who the kings of the block are. So, who the alpha is in this Who place. the alpha is. So any, any help you want to throw her away, let us know. Coach Frost a little bit. And uh, Coach Verducci, who was at Iowa when I was here, mm-hmm. was down in Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, so I know I know quite a few. Eric Chenander, a bunch of Iowa mm-hmm. guys are down there on that on that uh, on that program. So it's um, I think they're on the upswing now. So it's um, well, we we don't we're not we're not listening to that. As long as, they're, as, long as they're playing <laughs> second or third on our division, our conference. Side, that's know. right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Marv. You have a great rest of the night. We appreciate it. Go Hawks. Thank you guys. Appreciate Go it. Go Hawks.